What's up, guys? Welcome to Fitter Food Radio. This is episode 175. And guess who's back? Back again already, so soon. Dr. Tommy Wood. Hey. Hello. Hey. I think Tommy felt a little bit guilty that he had to cut us off last time. And he I was did. like, guys, I'm sorry. But you didn't give up hours and hours of your time <laughs> just to chat with us. I know. So, yeah, we're back. Well, he's back. Thank you so much, Tommy. Um, I don't even know. Is this going to be a continuation on? Well, first of all, we said we were just going to catch up on the podcast. So, Tommy, how are you? Because we normally do this talk off air and then we yeah. normally have quite a good chat and think, oh, this would be quite useful. Yeah, it's like f- full of gold that people yeah. might oh, yeah. want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it there, Tommy? <laughs> it's, eight, uh, yeah, it's eight o'clock in the oh, morning. Wow. It's not too bad. It's all right. Are you have you moved or are you just in a different room to the room you normally do your the podcast with us in? This is absolute uh, gold, by the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome everybody. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that that window. So, so this is the same room I was in last week, but I have moved relative to previous podcasts we've done yeah, in this me. house. So it's mainly uh well, yeah, it was mainly like a COVID thing. So we moved our office downstairs but then when elizabeth and i were both working at home we just have like we had one big main desk that we shared but then when it became like 100 work from home well we were having meetings at the same time but also apparently i type really loudly so that's <laughs> oh, distracting it got <laughs> to that point. yeah it got to that point uh, so i so i got put in the spare bedroom but i got a new desk and a new setup and stuff it's very nice but that's where i am now and then at one point I rotated around, so now the window is behind me where it wasn't before. So, and are you, do you do you stand up work all day long? By the way, because every time you, I see you on a podcast, you're always standing. I, I always stand for podcasts. Um, I usually start the day standing, um, and then like depending on depending on what I'm doing, um, I'll 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 sit down. So if I'm doing like in depth. Like I'm, I'm coding in R, doing statistics and stuff. Like it's a little, some, usually it's a bit easier to, to concentrate on that if I'm sat down. Uh, but if I'm, you know, dep- depending on the job, I try and spend at least fifty percent of my day stood up, something like that. And do you think? Because I know you said when you've looked in the science, there's nothing to say that that's beneficial, is it? <laughs> not, not for somebody, <laughs> not for somebody like me who's right. already fairly healthy and active. Um, there was a recent paper that just came out. I think it was in people with type 2 diabetes that showed that if they stood during the day, they had like 10 or 20% lower glucose excursions throughout the day. So like, it's obviously helping something and you're activating, you are using muscles that you wouldn't if you were sat down. Um, For me, I feel like it helps my posture because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sloucher. Um, Well, I can't do that when I, when I'm stood up. So, so I definitely, I definitely feel it in my posture. It feels better. So. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I, I always think a certain task, I'd lecture standing, but then I also find that if I stand for too long, my posture goes again. So I start yeah. to like slouch and then mm. my back starts hurting. And then I start yeah. standing on one leg randomly, which is like, so I've now got really strong left leg because I just start standing on my left leg. Don't <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I sound like a pelican, don't I? Everyone's like a pelican. No, not flamingo. Pe- flamingo, flamingo, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Pelican. Don't even know a pelican Flamingo. stand, yeah. to be fair. Like <laughs> I shall Google that after. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was the same. I got into like really bad habits of kind of like, yeah, favoring like one side. And I was like, I don't know how good this good for me this is. But I must say though, since I've started coaching at CrossFit, 
like I'm on my feet so much more. Mm. Yeah, you think your step count's like 26,000 some days. Well, it's madness. Oh, wow. Don't mind, I haven't actually gone for a walk that day. That's just literally not standing still whilst coaching and like lapping around the gym and stuff. Like even today, I've done 13,000 steps just this like this morning. I haven't, I haven't actually, I've been in the gym all day. But you're terrible. Like Matt doesn't walk for the sake of walking, do you? So if you haven't got to walk the dog or walk to get a coffee, or coach or do some reason then you won't walk and like some days it will be like oh my step counts 500 steps which is pretty yeah, it's not that bad give me some credit 2000 then you I, I do like to have a give it a purpose yeah but which is not necessarily great but um yeah well that is actually what we were going to talk about today we were going to talk about Tommy you've been doing some stuff on aging and oh yeah you were talking about muscle mass and exercise as we age and how important it is and it's just something that you just don't hear any information about like so rarely do you especially when you think about the kind of grandpa grandparents for example mm. my <clears throat> grand's just found herself in hospital she had a, a fall ages ago and fractured her hip mm. and she will do absolutely anything to get out of physiotherapy like literally yeah. it's, it's amazing when you think about how we got lectures as kids to eat vegetables and do our homework and stuff and i watch her now and she's sacked god knows how many physiotherapists because she's like no they're not right for me they're not right <laughs> and all they're asking her to do is like get out of a chair yeah. and perform half a squat and walk her drive like twice a day and um she basically again did another couple of weeks of skiving and ended up in hospital with what they said is a, an inflamed tendon. Like she's almost, her hips are so knackered now. Mm. And it's just really interesting because she gets so little advice on everything from why it's important for her to do these things. She sees physio as like, oh, I'm injured. I should do some physio. Not yeah. as in, oh, if I actually learned how to kind of get up out of a chair properly yeah. 20 years ago, <laughs> like, and she, you know, did a little bit of training 20 years ago, but stopped. And I think it's just, yeah, Tommy, you've been doing some amazing stuff on talking about the stats behind, you know, like if you have a fall and fracture your hip, like what's your risk of, I mean, your risk of dying is really awful, isn't it? If, if you haven't. Yeah, especially once you get into your, once you get into your 70s, if you fall and break a hip, you basically have a 50% chance of dying within the following year. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. But having seen my grandma go through that, I can see why she was just so frail and mm. weak. And then nutritionally gets nothing in terms of advice on calcium vitamin d like very little just the basic 400 international units of vitamin d and a thousand milligrams oh, yeah, of that's calcium. like that's like a drop in the ocean yeah for someone who doesn't go yeah. outside it's crazy when you think of like their possible needs and she already has osteoporosis so that's what i thought would be good to talk about are you in on that matt i'm in <laughs> I'm, I'm easy you know me i just go with the flow <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's interesting because I think like, and I suppose similar to what we were talking about last week in terms of like, you know, what is associated with, you know, we were talking last week, like what people might associate with high testosterone levels mm. and all of that and, and whatnot. And I think in a similar way, like when it comes to age, we're often like, we associate age with certain things and it's almost like, oh, well, these are the things you do when you're this age. And then when you're this age, you do these kind of things. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like, actually, you know, if people were to lift weights for a little bit longer and lift in old age and like we touched on it, I think we did touch on it actually last week, didn't yeah, we? About we did, like yeah. people with like, <clears throat> but people with like osteoarthritis or, uh, and things like that, you know, there's that study in Australia, I think with getting like the elderly to strength train, mm. you know, when most people would be like, Oh, an old woman deadlifting. No, you know, you can't do that. But actually, you know, the studies suggest that actually, 
it's very, very beneficial. But but even just, I mean, Tommy, I've heard you say now from a beyond kind of like movement, bone health, um, joint health, from a metabolic perspective, it makes such a difference as we age to have more muscle. And I've heard you say, I'm now convinced the only thing people need to start focusing on is muscle. I think you're slightly biased because you do strongman training. It's like <laughs> you can justify going off for hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. So it has become basically the thing that I'm most obsessed with in terms of like a long-term health perspective. And you're right. So however you look at it, the more muscle you have and the more you move it, the longer you live, the fewer diseases you have, the better metabolic health you have. It's your best buffer of blood sugar, right? Because your glucose essentially, your, your muscles essentially suck up glucose when they're moved. And the more muscle you have and the more active it is, the more glucose per kilo of muscle it, it takes up. And there's some very nice studies they've done that, that shows that. So the more you have and the more you move it, the better, really. When you look at the, there are these hallmarks of aging, they call them, right? All these different things that happen. And there's, uh, there's like changes in mitochondrial function and things like we call proteostasis. So like the proteins end up getting like messed up and misfolded. That's where everybody gets like obsessed with autophagy and stuff like that. And your telomeres shorten and all these things. So there are these multiple hallmarks of aging. And pretty much the only thing that can beneficially affect all of them is exercise. And so it's not fancy anti-aging drugs. It's not fancy supplements. It's just having some muscle and moving it. And the reason why I've become, you know, so invested in, in, in muscle mass and telling people about muscle mass is because A, it's really important. And B, it doesn't take that much to see benefit. So when you're looking at people who haven't lifted weights before, haven't done any resistance training, you don't have to lift weights if you don't, if you don't want to. Um, you can do a lot of it with body weight, you know, just a few resistance bands, you know, you can spend 10 quid and you've probably got enough to, to do, to, to, to get the stimulus you need. And then if you do like one to four sets per muscle group per week, that's enough for people to see significant benefit. It's like almost nothing. You know, it's less than an hour a week. It's, it, it could be you know 20 to 30 minutes a week, essentially. And you probably want to get close to what we call failure, but then everybody gets scared by the word failure. Why, what I mean by that is you get to a point where you just can't do any more good reps. Like you don't have to be flopping around in pain and falling on your ass and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I mean by failure. Uh, and just getting close to that. And then if you do that, the rep, you know, we, we now know based on, you know, a, a pretty decent body of work that even the number of reps you do doesn't matter, right? If it's eight reps to get to failure, great. But if it's 20, that's fine too. Like you get the same stimulus. Um, and so that's basically, that's all you need to do a couple of times a week, you know, a couple of times per muscle group to see significant benefit. And all, again, all you need to do is end up in like the top 50% of the population or top third of the population for, for strength and muscle mass is like the best point in terms of longevity. So you don't even need to like, look like you've put on a significant amount of muscle. You just need to be better than the other half of the population, right? It's not that much. Uh, but if you put that, that small amount of effort in, it has a huge benefit um, in terms of long-term health. And if you compare that to, you know, changing your diet or changing your sleep habits every night or whatever, I think the amount of effort you need to invest for the benefit you get out uh, really makes it one of the most important low-hanging fruit. 
And I think it also allows you, not that I'm justifying this, but a little bit more flexibility with your nutrition. So oh, yeah. I, I get a lot of clients complaining when they've got diagnosed with diabetes that they're going to have to like reduce their intake of things that they love, alcohol and other stuff. And I'm like, well, if you actually train, even from this point onwards, it is going to allow you, and we often do like blood sugar monitoring so they can see the, the effect. And it's, it is, it's so, but even just things like walking and, and movement breaks and movement oh, yeah. stacks and mm. stuff like that makes such a big difference. But if you are sleep deprived, I often say to clients who've just got newborns and stuff, I'm like, just a little bit of movement, you know, it's yeah, going to, yeah. and it does help with energy and cravings and other stuff as well. So it's like, it is a bit of a mood lifter. So you don't turn to the cupboards, kitchen cupboards all the time or alcohol or whatever it is. But I think like, you know, we, we've mentioned this many a time, like p- people associate like these minimums with things, don't they? It's like, oh, well, you know, in order to get results, you have to train at least three times a week for 45 to 60 minutes. Yeah. And, and oh, they won't do anything. Yeah, and it's yeah. almost like, well, I can't commit to that, so I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. But actually, you know, like you said, even once a week, even 15 minutes, even 10 minutes of something, you know, is much better than, than nothing at all. And I remember I've, this is going back years now, and it kind of ties in with what you've just said, but I remember reading somewhere that you can get 60% of the results by training once a week that you could train in three times a week. And actually now, now listening to Tommy, that kind of sounds like it's not a million miles. Oh, I see. Okay. Off. I, I so if you can only train saying. once a week, you're still getting, you're still getting 60% of the benefits. Yeah, of, yeah. It's almost um, like aim low. And if you get more, you know, if you aim for, I always say two, I think it's a really nice yeah. aim and then be as active as you can see every opportunity like as in your commute cleaning shopping as a chance to move and carry shopping anything like just yeah. just use use your muscles but i think two is kind of realistic but also we do have to ask ourselves a question how much do you invest in things that are probably not supporting your health and then have to spend a lot of time sorting that out in hospital appointments or in pay you know financial in mm. you know financially it costs you a lot and then you're miserable because down the line, I often have to paint the picture of where this is going if, if you don't do something now. And a couple of hours a week is not a lot of time. I mean, I'm thinking of people who hate exercise here as well. And some mornings I do hate the idea, I should yeah. say. I have to like drag myself to the gym, but I'm kind of used to the, I know how I feel after. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of a motivating factor for me. And plus, I think most, we, we often say, you must have the same thing, Tommy, that there's a slight pressure as someone who's <laughs> talking about health. <laughs> To like, <laughs> you've got to look the part a little bit as well. So there's a little bit of accountability there. I think there's almost, as, as, I, as I talk about muscles specifically, I feel like there's, there's almost this negative other side to it because when, I, when I've spoken about this, people have turned around and said, well, I don't want to look like you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I appreciate that. And so like, I want to start by saying, I don't think like, I don't want people to think that they have to look like me or that they have to train eight to 10 hours a week. Like I do, like, I'm yeah. specifically saying you don't have to do that. And so I, I do partly wonder or worry, like, is the messenger messing up the message? Uh, yeah. But equally you could have somebody who doesn't look like they lift, but has, you know, does enough and has plenty of, you know, has enough muscle mass to, to see benefit, you know, trains once or twice a week. Would people then say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to you because you don't look like you lift. Like it's kind of this catch 22 of, of, of how do you deliver the message and, and who delivers the message? I think, I think it's interesting. Like I, I don't feel pressure because, you know, I talk about health that I should look a certain way finally after 20 years of, of uh, struggling with that. But I, th- I think it's interesting that the, the people will find a way to blame the messenger 
for the for the message that that, that they don't like. Because um, I've seen I, that a few times I, myself. No, I agree, and I also think it's sometimes a reason that I think a medical professional won't say that message as well because they know that they don't represent it. Mm. So that could be like they're not very good at talking about weight loss or movement or building more muscle. We're really lucky with it. You said before, our doctor's does Ironman competitions, doesn't he? So he straight away is, is, it's great when we work with him because he's like, well, I know you two are fit and healthy, so I'm going to fast track you through this, that, and the other. But I think sometimes medical professionals won't say a word. And then also nutritional therapists definitely are not, you know, they will work around the houses and give somebody every single supplement going before saying, actually, I think one of the problems is your BMI is too high or, you know, like actually have that conversation. It's quite an awkward conversation. And if yeah. they don't feel healthy, which is perfectly normal when you're in this industry and working your backside off, you can end up letting stuff slip as well, can't yeah. you? And not, not walking the walk. So completely understand it. But I've seen it avoided a lot. And even just recently, I've done some blogs on cancer. I mentioned it last time. And they were saying that if you look at the research on vitamin D and cancer, vitamin D supplementation can be beneficial, not if you're overweight. So it's a weird thing where they're kind of like, is it a cause? Is it a factor of being overweight? Is it whatever? But still the big low hanging fruit here is healthy weight management to minimize your risk of cancer, not vitamin is D. It, for, for the vitamin D, I, I mean, there are a few studies that basically suggest that the more adipose issue you have, the more vitamin D you need to get to a certain level. So is it just that in a certain population, they just haven't given enough vitamin yeah, yeah, D? Um, you know, so it's not that vitamin D doesn't, D doesn't work. It's just that you need to adjust, adjust the dose based on the individual. Oh, wow. Cause they say the same with vitamin C, I think, don't they? You're using more with more adipose tissue. Is that correct? Uh, I haven't seen that specifically, but vitamin D is, is fat soluble. So I think it's sequestered into adipose tissue. So, which is why, and there's definitely been studies that show that in, <clears throat> when they're supplementing those who, who have more adipose get less of a, a of an increase at, at a given dose. So it may just be a, they didn't give enough rather than it doesn't work. Ah, interesting. But still, I mean, the, the, the point here is, is the weight management side of things would be the quickest win for a lot of people mm. rather than as, it, it's a bit like, so Tommy, another study I've heard you talk about that's interesting is the grip strength one. Oh yeah. And where we're now adjusting recommendations to fit round the fact that we're becoming very unfit and slightly unhealthy. So we're adapting recommendations when actually we should be thinking, why have we let our health decline this way but i'll leave you to do the grip strength oh yes so well i mean grip strength is is a nice metric to use because almost anybody can do it um and it's easy to collect data on it so they have grip strength data in multiple population uh data sets they they looked at it specifically related to aging in i think it's the honolulu aging study and it's, it's nice because they took people in their 50s and 60s and basically followed them for like 20 or 30 years. And they saw a significant effect. So like if you're in the top third, so when I say that being in the top third of strength, it's basically largely from this study. If you're in the top third of grip strength compared to the, the lower third, you basically have you know, about 10 years difference in a projected lifespan. So it's a, it's a big effect. And obviously... The grip strength is just like, it's a, it's a proxy, right? It's not like, and it's funny because you see, I've seen like biohackers take this study and be like, this means I need to go and specifically train my grip because it's my <laughs> grip that's going to make me live a long time, which is just like, at some point you need to sort of zoom out and, and, and realize that it's just a, it's just a nice way to, to measure a proxy of strength uh, and muscle mass. doesn't mean that training your grip isn't important uh, or couldn't be important, but it's just, you know, it's a proxy. And then when you sort of fast forward to this other study that, that you alluded to, they basically looked at 
grip strength norms in just like the average population, I think from like the 80s and 90s, and then compared it to millennials nowadays, and particularly in the men, like the, the, the millennial uh, females seem to be doing okay, but particularly the guys' grip strength had decreased and significantly on average. And the, the sort of the summary of the paper was we need to change the normal range of grip strength based on the modern population <laughs> rather than saying, hang on a second, why is it that we're getting weaker over time? Um, and, you know, maybe that's important. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just it's just interesting. And, and again, I mean, this this uh, relates to a lot of other things that, that you guys talk about. So when you talk about basically anything on a blood test or any kind of test, the normal range is relative to the normal population who are sick on average. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then it's very difficult to know whether, you know, if, if your blood tests are quote unquote normal, is that even a good thing? Because you know, the people, the people you're comparing yourself to are maybe not the people that, that you want to be comparing yourself to. So that's just, you know, it's like the, the frog that gets put in cold water and it's slowly boiled. We're just like letting all these things slide over time and it just looks completely normal. And we change the normal ranges and we change what's expected as our health sort of slowly declines. It's, it's interesting though what you say about the comparison of, of men and women, because I think growing up as well, I remember my dad weight training, but my mum would do aerobics, like <laughs> she wouldn't even touch like a dumbbell or anything. She trains now. And again, because of our, our kind of awareness. And I think both of them since having cancer have been like, right, what can we do? And then I've shown them loads of information about strength training, walking, everything. Slower on the meditation side, I have to say, but they kind of got to grips with exercise as something we can practically do going forward. Actually, you are seeing this shift where women, you know, when, when I was growing up, dad strength trained, mum did aerobics. I yeah. knew very few women who did any kind of strength training. Yeah, whereas now? Now it's like, yeah, complete shift. And But I'm still surprised. I would still say I know as many blokes. I was in the gym this morning and I would still say it's like a third women, two thirds men on average in a, in a gym. Oh, what? Sorry? A third women, two thirds men. Why? Okay, no, no. no sorry, I'm no, sorry. No, so I'm just saying like, I, I'm surprised. I wonder if it will shift now because of Instagram. And social media and suddenly everyone's like again the wrong reasons but the six pack the drawer of you know the guns and it actually grip strings are gonna go back up again <laughs> but women are still gonna outshine blokes i'm sorry but we just well will. interestingly today this morning uh royal docks there was only one guy in the morning class oh, right. and there was one two four guys in the lunchtime and eight women so there you go boom. oh really yeah yeah so yeah Maybe the women are going down the CrossFit route anyway, but, and gyms, I think as well, this is another factor in kind of weight training, strength training is people find gyms intimidating because of that kind of like, I'm going to walk in and there'll be loads of people super fit and fighting for the mirror and stuff like that. And I think again, that's changed. I don't think, I don't think that's the case. And, but it's one of the reasons I often say it's worth a great investment in your health is to actually get a personal trainer just for a short period, if you can only afford that and know, learn how to, do a deadlift, do a back squat, do all the great kind of, you know, compound exercises or just use the machine safely mm. and get a program. And if you can only afford one to two sessions, it, for me, it was that I wouldn't have touched the, the weight floor until I got a personal trainer. And then you, so know, you feel a bit more confident. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's yeah. a, again, we spend so much money on, on supplements and like Tommy said, like what, what antioxidant can I take? What, what else can I do that requires, you know, but, but not stepping is, out the comfort zone essentially interestingly like i um i was at the doctors the other day and you know you know me i like a chat and uh <laughs> turns out so so does our gp 
And um, we, we were having a good old teamwork. You were like, where, where's Matt? Like, he left ages ago for his, for his doctor's appointment. For his 10-minute appointment. Yeah. <laughs> You're the reason but, for such a uh, It's all my fault. Um, but we got on to exercise and like Keris mentioned earlier, like he's a, he's, you know, he's a keen runner and he's big into his endurance stuff and whatnot. And we got onto the subject of exercise and he was just saying how like, you know, like the benefits of exercise are so powerful, you know, in terms of, you know, all the things that we've covered, you know, like health, body composition, um, managing blood sugar, et cetera. Uh, but of course, like mental health and, and whatnot. And he was like saying like, not enough is done by the NHS to like push the exercise side of things. Yeah. And he was like, yes, nutrition is important. Yes, not eating too much sugar is important. But he said like, what's being done on exercise? Like, like really and truly. And like you say, like, because there are some people that cannot afford, afford a single personal training session, you know. And I remember like years ago when I was a fitness instructor, aka uh, cleaner, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, they used to have a link with the local doctor's surgery, like a GP referral thing. Yeah, and it was amazing because like these people would come in that are either quite overweight or you know, from, from like a less privileged like background and we would work with them like to, you know, like take them through like a program mm. and, and give them something to do. But I've spoken to a few people like in recent years that are, you know, uh, fitness instructors. And I was a bit like, oh, you know, do, do you still doing that kind of thing? And it just seems to be like, I don't know if it just phased out or if it's just select gyms that do them. And I just thought like, you know, it, it could be a really powerful thing, really powerful thing. If like someone had access to something that are much lower cost and potentially to work with someone once a month, just to kind of go through something. Yeah, I agree. But I suppose it comes back to like the, the education side of it. And I don't think that's, I think it's going to be quite powerful how it's sold to somebody because everybody knows they should probably exercise a little mm. bit more, but they think of it as like, I'll lose a few pounds. And this is where I often think that if somebody paints the picture of what will happen next, and if you're a parent or a partner, you know, then you can really start to think about, it won't just be me that is affected by this. It will be everybody around me as well. Yeah, I think yeah. that is kind of part of it. And I suppose another element is if you don't pay for something, do you truly value it? Mm. That's a kind of, I've seen personal trainers do things where they say, sign up for this. And if you stick at it, like, pay now and if you stick at it for 30 days i'll refund you i think that's really powerful wow <laughs> that would get me to the gym good luck to you <laughs> i wish you all the best yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a terrible business model admittedly but it's like i bet they make money off that that's the sad thing because yeah. we've, we've seen people so many people buy things from us and then we never see them so mm. we never see them do anything with it yeah but i think the purchase element makes them feel like I'm being a bit proactive. So they can they can say, I've tried everything. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you didn't. You bought it. You didn't, yeah. you didn't try it. Yeah. You, know? you got to actually give it a go. Um, is there any, I was going to say, Tommy, is there anything else that you say alongside the exercise? What other kind of dietary components or do you think in terms of supplements, there are things that people could be investing in before they go for, you know, kind of tons of turmeric and green tea and things like that, <laughs> whatever it might be? Um, yeah, maybe. I, th I think before before answering that question, I I mean, I completely like I can completely agree. If we can find ways to increase access to these things, that's probably the you know the most important thing. But included in increasing that access is like giving people the knowledge that you don't need to go to the gym, right? Like I, I think that's one of the most important things. That like so, if you can only do body weight squats 
and push-ups against the wall to start with or on your knees at home, right? And, and you do that a couple of times a week for five to 10 minutes. That has a huge impact, right? And I think the, the, the problem that we have as a society is that we idolize these ridiculous exercise pursuits and assume that that is what is required for yeah. health, right? We already talked about the fact that, you know, your GP does Ironman. That is a stupid thing to do for your health, right? Like, let's be honest. I've done an Ironman. I've done things even more ridiculous than that. Terrible for your health. Don't go around thinking that this is like, the pinnacle of health, right? It takes a huge amount of time. It's a huge stress on the body, you know, probably does more harm than good in the long run. But if he enjoys it, like, great, of course, you know, I, I can't, I can't, blame people for doing it because I've, I've yeah, done it myself yeah. and I enjoyed it for, for various reasons. But don't think that you need to be an Ironman in order to achieve optimal health. And you'll probably get better long-term health by doing a 30-minute walk a day and some push-ups and squats at home, you know, in front of the telly or something, right? I think that's, that's what, I think people just need to appreciate that what we've idolized in terms of athletic pursuit is not what is required for long-term health. That's the message that I want to get across. And then, you know, you can show people that, yeah, you know, these are the, the five pounds you can spend on a resistance band because the one thing that's difficult to do at home is some kind of pulling movement, <laughs> right? So if you attach a resistance band to a door, all of a sudden you've, you've essentially fixed that problem. Um, so stuff like that, I think is really important. I was going to say, it doesn't help as well that I think because media, even like the newspapers that maybe that kind of the older generations are still looking in the health supplements and the weekend and stuff for advice. They still talk about HIT, so high intensity interval training and things like that, which can be beneficial, but are again, intimidating. So yeah. the thought of going from zero to HIT is quite a scary thought. And I've got family members who even say, I absolutely hate my auntie always goes, I hate the fast stuff, but I have to do it quickly. But, you know, like she'll walk for miles with a dog and, yeah, and yeah. does yoga. And I'm like, you probably don't need to do it then. Do I mean, you walk so much with the dog, it's fine. Yeah. But I think because the media wants to find something, they want to find something sexy and new and different because it's so so boring saying, we'll just walk more and do some yeah. bodyweight squats and a resistance band on your kitchen door and you're done. You know, it can't be that simple. That's just how do we repackage that into a news or a product or a book? Yeah. But that, that's the difference, I think. It's like, it's, I suppose it's, it's how something's marketed, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It all comes down to, to marketing. And the danger and, is that people do nothing, you know, rather than doing something. Because they know? think so much is like, that it has, you know, it has to be hit. Like you have to go and do Tabata on a bike. And like almost nobody in the world has ever done a true Tabata protocol because it is awful, awful. And, yeah and just ridiculously hard like the percent like because there was set it was a set uh percentage of you know maximum output which you probably aren't repeating even if you think you're doing it. so like it's just it's all of that's unnecessary like if you do it and you enjoy it great please do it but don't think that you need to do it in order to to see a huge number of benefits for your health well i think as well like um i know like uh like joe wicks the body coach kind of made hit training popular again didn't he mm. like you know it was always there but he you know everything was hit to him he was like this hit workout that hit workout and but a lot of people i knew that were following his stuff were never content in just doing the 15 20 minute hit workout they'd be yeah. like well i'll do two of them 
I'll be free of them. Yeah. And then someone's it needs like, to be oh, longer just... and harder and more yeah. miserable. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I did an hour of hit. And it's like, no, no, if you did hit, you wouldn't still be going for an hour. <laughs> like yeah. on your ass well before <laughs> that time. And um, and again, it's that kind of misconception of what, you know, people people think because they do it for 30 seconds and then rest 30 seconds, it's hit trading. It's like that. This, this, this makes me laugh thinking of when Matt was my trainer, when we were just friends, he showed me how to do intervals on a row machine. And he was like, you do eight 200 meter rows and you try to maintain your split time and beat your time. And then he came back and I'd done 20. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I managed 20. And then you were like, did you keep the same split time? for 20? And I was like, no, but I managed 20. And it was like this massive discussion we had to have because I just thought <laughs> more is better. More yeah. is always better. But you like split time had like double. <laughs> So I was just like rowing, four, like four, four, four minute, five hundred. Leisurely row by the end of it, just doing nothing. But in my no, head, no, I was like, no, no, wait, hang on a second. You had, a, you were having a nice leisurely row. That's great. Lots of benefits <laughs> to that. Yeah, it's not yeah. a hit. It doesn't matter. But you didn't do what Matt told you to do, which had a specific reason behind it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I just wanted to say, the fact that you did some rowing, really good. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. want to celebrate these small bits of movement that people do because they're really <laughs> beneficial, even if it's not true here. But, but it's, it is so true. And it's like, um, well, coincidentally, I was chatting to someone who's just joined uh, Royal Docks recently and they were feeling a little bit disheartened that they felt like they couldn't do the workouts. And I was like, well, no, no, this is what scaling is for. This is why it exists. It's like, you know, you're not here yet, but you're here. And that's where we all had to start. At some point, you know, there's even still things that I like have to scale back because I'm just not quite there yet on like a skill level or, or whatever. And I think sometimes it's just people getting their their head around it. Like how many times did we used to have people say, um, oh, um, I'd really like to book some sessions with you, but I'm going to spend a couple of months getting fit, getting fit <laughs> first. And it's like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Let's start now yeah, yeah. And, and let's let's make it happen together type thing. But yeah, it's almost like people like feel that, that you know, oh, you know, I've got to be able to perform straight away. I've got to be able to do these things straight away. Um, I think that's yeah, so one of the issues with group exercises. It's amazing for kind of motivation and, and atmosphere and things like that. But it does lack sometimes you, you, you know, that that negative comparison can be a little bit demotivating. Mm. But I think comparison on every level some of my older clients I work with are so frustrated that they're not as fit as they used to be. And they keep injuring themselves, trying to do things that they used to do. And because there's, again, they'll see an article on hit or they'll see an article on plyometrics and it's like, but you don't need that exercise as you age. Actually, mm. I think the safest stuff to do is non-impact resistance training and walking. Yeah. They are probably the If you think about longevity, even I have to have a word of myself with that. Cause I'm like, you know, my joints haven't been great in the past yeah. and I know like I can overdo it. So then I can. I think we all do though. I think like when you're like us and, you know, exercise and, you know, pushing yourself and whatnot is, is kind of part of who you are. Like yeah. I don't, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be lying if I said, you know, like, you know, I'd, that I don't overtrain anymore because I bloody well do like, you know, because I like to push it. And as much as I like to think, Oh, you know, I'm much wiser now. The amount of times I'm like, Oh, you know, just could do it. Take it easy today. The next thing you know, you're just going a hundred mile an hour because yeah. it just happens. It's just part of who you are. And I think like this kind of link onto a, something that I want to talk about actually, because I I'm 36. It's not old by any means. And How old are you Tommy? You're 38. 37. <laughs> You're the oldest one here. I know, I know. But, you know, I'm, I'm not old and there's definitely room for me to make some epic progress. And I've already seen some great 
great gains in like uh, in a CrossFit sense. And I always think, oh gosh, like, what if I started in my twenties? Like, what kind of progress could I have seen then? But what if I started taking testosterone? Huh? <laughs> yeah. What if I started taking testosterone? <laughs> Just think of all the gains you could make. Uh, do, do you think that's rife in CrossFit? Uh, oh, I'm sure. I, oh, I, I'm, I'm sure. I was wondering why you said it. I didn't know if you were like. Oh, I was just, I was, I was just oh, a, right. as an attempt at a joke. Oh, okay. So I, was, <laughs> I thought, I thought that was yours. Sorry, I was, I'll think of something funnier next time. So was, mate. <laughs> Damn it! I'm not quite good at getting jokes, but yeah, but like I've already seen like some really epic progress, and I suppose you get that question a lot, don't you? Like when people like are in their forties or in their fifties, and even like when I chat to your dad now, he's like, you know, pushing towards seventy. And it's that question of like, oh, you know, do you think I can still get stronger now? Do you think I can still gain muscle now? And my answer always is yes. Like I, I truly believe that you can continue to gain muscle, like, you know, much later into your your life than, than people think. But it'd be good to kind of hear your view on it, Tommy, mate. So, 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 a, so a fair bit of research has looked at this and it seems like as you get older, you gain less, you do gain less muscle mass for a given stimulus, mm -hmm. but you can continue to gain strength, right? It does, the strength gains don't seem to be blunted um, as you get older. Just like uh, there was a recent study that came out that looked at strength gains in a caloric deficit. And so even people in a significant caloric deficit can still gain a lot of strength, even though they don't gain a lot of a lot of muscle just because they're, they're, they're not taking in the calories to, to build the muscle. So you can always gain strength, even if you, even if you don't build as much muscle, but you know, when you're thinking about uh, staying alive a long time, right? Your strength, your fast switch muscle fibers, that's, those are the things that stop you falling over and breaking your hip. Right. So, so critically important uh, you, and you can still gain strength at, at any age. Um, in terms of the, does it go back to Keris's question, like supplements or things that people should consider? I think there are, well, I think vitamin D for athletic performance and longevity and muscle tissue and all that kind of stuff, potentially beneficial, but check your levels and, you know, test, retest, take some if you need to. Um, Omega-3s, if you don't eat any fish, I think you should take some kind of fish oil or something. I think there's reasonable evidence for that. Muscle recovery, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then the other two things, I think everybody should take creatine. Um, like they cool. should put it in the water, they should put it in the water. Um, <laughs> it's great for your brain. It's great for your muscles. It's great for everything. Um, and it's safe at high doses in old and frail people, even if their kidneys don't work well and all that kind of stuff, like all the with what, what person with one kidney asking for my dad, cause he really struggles with muscle mass, doesn't he? Yeah. Do you think it would be safe? I've looked. Yes. Okay, cool. There you go. Yeah. Oh, no, so the, <laughs> what, what was that? Kilo creatine He's my dad creatine for Christmas. Like hose him down. Like everybody should be just hosed down with creatine. And so, so the reason why it's conflated with kidney function is because the markers are overlapping. So when you use, so, so creatine, creates a, a short-term energy storage, right? You create phosphocreatine and you use that to regenerate ATP. As you phosphorylate and dephosphorylate, and you sort of cycle through creatine, sometimes you create um, a metabolic byproduct called creatinine. And that is a marker that is generally used to study kidney function. It's a terrible marker in people who have muscle mass or supplement with creatine because it increases creatinine. Uh, I always 
tell the story of myself where I almost didn't get discharged from hospital after my snake bikes. They were like, your creatinine's really high. Um, so we think your kidneys are failing. And I'm just like, I'm a lot bigger than your average patient. And, gains, love. <laughs> and, and, and I take, and I take, and I supplement with creatine, which not in everybody, but can increase creatinine. So the, what will happen, my guess is that, well, first, if it helps him gain, you know, do some strength training, gain some muscle mass, um, plus the creatine supplementation itself could increase his creatinine, but you just need to be wary of that and get a better marker of kidney function like cystatin C, yeah. uh, which <laughs> isn't affected by, by creatine or muscle mass. Um, so yeah, it, it could be a concern for the doctor, but you just need yeah. to just realize it's just a, it's a byproduct. It's not actually in worsening kidney function. And what about, um, cause I was having a chat with a couple of the members the other day, cause I, I push creatine when hydrate big style. I'm like, get on it. You know, like, you know, it's cheap. It's easy to like fit into your day to day. Like, you know, in the, you know, and one of them said, who's breastfeeding at the moment said, is it safe whilst you're breastfeeding? And I was a bit like, Oh, let me check. Cause I, I didn't actually know. Um, so I didn't know. I would if imagine you... there's no, no studies. <laughs> well, there was, My I guess is there are no studies, but. There have been, there are lots of animal studies that have given creatine in and around birth and looking at susceptibility for brain injury. And obviously if you're like, kid is already born and happy and healthy, risk of brain injury is very low, but no significant, you know, downstream effects, either taking it during pregnancy, again, in animal studies or during breastfeeding. Creatine is naturally found in salmon and beef and all those kinds of things. So if you're taking, so I, I don't think there's any reason to believe that there would be an issue. Um, one thing that would you would kind of maybe take note of, and it is relevant to everybody actually, is when you start taking creatine, it increases the creatine content of the muscles and it draws water into those muscles as well. So particularly when you start taking creatine, you just need to be a, a little bit wary of your hydration sometimes. Just make sure you're drinking enough water because you'll get some fluid, you'll get some fluid shifts or most people will get some fluid shifts. So obviously when you're breastfeeding, it's an extra avenue for you to lose fluid. So I would just make sure to drink enough, you know, hydrate. Uh, that would be my only, my only comment. Because yeah, I had um, had a break from it because when I was ill and I wasn't training um, and I just got, because normally like I just put it in my post-workout shake. So because I wasn't training, that wasn't happening. I was forgetting to take it. But then once I kind of like started training again, I, I did a loading phase mm. Um so I just did four days of doing like, you know, about 20 grams a day. And in that time I said to you, didn't I? I was like, bloody hell, like I'm like, got to properly chug on the water because I just felt like I couldn't drink enough. Mm. I mean, now I'm just on a maintenance <laughs> yeah. dose of, um, you know, like five grams a, a day. And, you know, it's, it's not the same at all. But yeah, in that loading phase. Oh, you don't need to. I mean, like if you want to get back into it and get your, your levels up really quickly, like a loading phase can be, can be useful. And they've done, there was a study that came out recently that, that used a loading a loading dose in did it in mountain bikers and it improved cognitive function just doing a loading dose i think it was wow. for a couple of weeks so 20 grams a day for a couple of weeks but you don't need to do a loading wow. dose right as wow. long you know if you're not in a if you're not in any kind of hurry just take a scoop a day just impatient man I'm like, these, yeah. the gains can't wait is it is a cognitive <laughs> is a cognitive benefit purely from a kind of metabolic glucose regulation perspective or is it is it yeah, so I, I, yeah I think it's you know so, well, there's there's multiple aspects through which creatine is thought to work. I mean, one is just you have like, be, you know, better short-term available energy, but it also, it takes the strain off the methylation system. So creatine production is 
the thing that your bot that takes up the bulk of your uh, body's methylation capacity. I think it like some estimates like it takes up seventy percent of the methylation processes. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's a, it's a lot. So you can take take um, some effort off of that. Um, it also uh, improves mitochondrial function and calcium handling and all these things that sort of can affect cognitive function and metabolic health. So there's a few things that that creatine uh, can do, and not having to produce it yourself seems to be beneficial as well as you know having more on board than than you would normally get um you know but it's but like i said it normally occurs in the diet you make it yourself uh but there's some benefit from there seems to be benefit from having a bit extra on board and would you say that like um yeah because it might just be that it's it's new to me but would you say that it's a bit more of a recent find in terms of like this link with creatine um, and the cognitive function? I was reading something about like bone health as well um, and and some specific stuff on the elderly uh, taking mm. it for that reason. I mean, yeah. is, it, is that quite a recent focus? Because before it was always, you know, you just associated it with bodybuilding right yeah, yeah. creatine was a was a very if anything i'd say like as a woman i was always a bit nervous of it because everyone talked about the fact that it would draw water and just make you look pretty <laughs> yeah but it's, it's intracellular isn't it the water so it's not like it makes you like puffy and no no yeah like that's i only say this because when around the time i would have considered taking it when we were doing a lot of kettlebell training i actually got do you remember fired by someone <laughs> who was a potential client who walked in and took one look at me and went i don't want to be muscly like you and walked out again so yeah. then i was like well, like what we were saying earlier about the muscle mass i was like i can't be like too hench obviously yeah. for women but now you, you were hench though yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that, that was actually nothing to do, I don't think, with any creatine or anything. That was just the amount of pick and mix eh, at the weekend on top yeah. of a lot that, of training. That, that was overtraining and pick and mix, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, creatine is not magic, right? It's not going <laughs> to suddenly make you look like, like a bodybuilder. I mean, compared to most other supplements, I think it is magic. Um, but there's so there's been a lot of interest in creatine in neurodegenerative disorders for at least a, a decade or two. So they've done... So the reason why... I, say I'm very confident that creatine is safe in high doses because there's one study they did in Parkinson's patients. They gave them 20 grams a day oh, wow. for That's months. Cool. I think it was maybe, I think it was maybe a year, right? So huge doses of creatine in an elderly frail population. And in Parkinson's, it didn't end up being beneficial, but there were no negative side effects. Right. right. So a much bigger dose than most people need to take for much longer than they need to than they need to take that bigger dose. And they still weren't seeing like negative side effects. So they've tested it in uh, ALS, Huntington's, Parkinson's. And in those studies, it doesn't seem to have like specific benefit to that disease. Um, but it does show that it's that is basically very, very safe. From some of the cognitive stuff, I think that is more recent. You know, there's that study at this time in rugby players where they sleep deprived them and then they gave them either creatine or caffeine and creatine had the same benefit in terms of reversing some of the cognitive aspects of sleep deprivation as caffeine did wow. um everyone, and, on video, everyone on google like right now yeah going, yeah where, where 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 to find what's okay How yeah uh, oh, it, so it gets better i'm gonna keep going like because you've got me like as well as muscle mass like creatine is one of my favorite things there are now i think at least two. So, the, so there's epidemiological data that suggests, and, and again, I hate talking nutritional epidemiology, but it sets up the late stuff. So there's epidemiological data that suggests that those people who have more creatine in the diet, basically they eat more meat and fish, 
have lower levels of depression. And there were two randomized controlled studies where they took people who were, who were put on some kind of antidepressant for major, major depressive disorder. And then they were randomized to either get creatine on top of that or placebo and creatine improved or like decreased depression scores, reverse depression compared to placebo in people already taking an antidepressant for depression. So like, Amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's so it's dirt cheap. Yeah, yeah. It's great for your brain. It's great for supporting your strength gains. It's not dangerous. Really low side effects. Um, you know, and there are again lots of studies in stroke models, TBI models, neonatal brain injury models that if you have created on board beforehand, you will get less of a brain injury uh afterwards. So again. You know, at any point in your life when you might be at risk of some kind of brain injury and be that traumatic when you're younger or a stroke when you're older, it's worth having some creatine on board just in case. And would you say, are you kind of emphasizing that more than like protein intake when you think about kind of a muscle or or kind of um, energy systems, bone density, all those types of things, or just, just two um, together, really? Yeah, so I think, I, think I, I, I mean, I would definitely say the two together are, are important. So if you think about creatine for, for bone density, you know, at least some of the benefit may be coming from an increased, you know, you're increasing the load that you can put on the muscles because creatine has helped, you know, you can, you, you can get that extra rep. You can increase the, cause one of the reasons why we get bone loss is that we're not loading the bone, right? So most times when we lose some aspect of our body that we want to keep like our brain or our muscles or our bone, it's just cause we're not using them. And these things are metabolically expensive to either uh, maintain or, or regenerate. And you just don't bother wasting that energy on something that isn't being used. So protein is really important for the baseline structure of bone that, that, you know, uh, hydroxyapatite, which is a calcium mineral is kind of bolted onto. So protein is, is really important, um, as well. And we talked about aging. We, we know there's what we call anabolic resistance, which is basically for a given stimulus and a given amount of protein, you get less muscle protein synthesis as you get older. And there's probably like an inflammatory component or an oxidative stress component. So you can certainly deal with those things as well. But as you get older, your protein requirements increase. Uh, so particularly if you are not somebody who's mindful of their protein intake when they're younger, I think you have to increasingly focus on that as you get older because your protein requirements and the amount of protein or response that you get to that protein in terms of muscle building, bone building, all that kind of stuff decreases. So you just need more of it. I mean, I, I think everybody should eat a lot of protein with their creatine, but it's particularly but, important as you get older. I was going to say, but that is, I would say, the the client group that I get the most resistance from with protein. Mm. Like literally, and I, I've always thought it's probably a digestive thing. So some will actively say it makes me feel so full. And I think actually this oh, is digestive for, support. For you turn out the biscuits. What, what do you mean? Digestive. All right. Digestive. Yeah. <laughs> McVitties need to get on this shit. They need a biscuit. Protein digestives. Oh, Oh, shove you all over there. There's protein everything now. It's terrible, isn't it? Like, I keep seeing all these really... There is, I'm sure, like protein biscuits now. We've got protein Snickers Mm. bars. We've got protein everything. But like that's kind of targeting a younger age group, I think, that we just said before, like they're kind of aware of that. But I would say like all of my older clients, the the feedback I get is like it makes them feel too full, in which case I'm often like, right, soups stews like blend it up but i think that's a digestive capacity seems to decrease but it's also really alien to them like to have 
despite them growing up on protein for breakfast, they've switched over to cereal. And then I think there's like an element, yeah. but there's definitely with, with a lot of my really old clients, something like to do with the kind of, I don't know if there's an element of insulin resistance, but massive carbohydrate cravings. And I'm constantly battling to get eggs back in at breakfast and they want crunching up cornflakes. And we just go back and forth for ages on this. And it's sandwiches and biscuits. They're so carb, their diets are so carb centric that it's like protein once a day. And that's why I've yeah. had to start using protein powders and stuff. Like, yeah, like a dinner. That's like- and I just wonder if the me- what's the mechanism? Is it digestively they don't really like it or it's just more that they're getting primal brain is just going sugar, sugar, sugar. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's difficult to tell. I like, I mean, digestive support is something that some people need. Not the best. <laughs> that is, yeah. It's hard to get digestives in the US, so I, so I do need digestive support. Um, <laughs> we'll send you a little care package, mate. <laughs> um, but so my guess is it's not that. I think it's just like, so, I mean, it depends on, you know, I guess they're age. So if they come, you know, if they're old enough that they experienced rationing and protein centric foods were obviously not something that they had a lot of, you know, that maybe that forms part of it, but there's also the, maybe it's, they don't know what to expect, right? It makes them feel yeah. really full. Great. That's what food is supposed to do. Oh, like yeah. you're supposed to be sated after you eat a nourishing meal. Like so like that's you, I mean I think you have to explain that yeah if you eat a lot of protein you're gonna want less of your sandwich or cornflakes or whatever nonsense is on the side so 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 maybe there's like an expectation thing that comes into it but like protein associating that's great should be celebrated um, so rather than I think they are like oh it's taking up room that I would normally fill with digestive biscuits yeah. great <laughs> yeah. perfect like two <laughs> two bangs for your buck that's that's exactly what you want. So may, I don't know, maybe if there's a, there's like an expectation restructuring thing that needs to happen, maybe that would yeah. help on that. And if you, I would say if you're vegetarian plant-based as well, definitely be thinking about creatine, would you say? Um, oh yeah. Well, yes, a hundred percent, but I'd recommend it to anybody. So, okay. so even <laughs> if you ate, so, I mean, and, okay. So if you're eating like three to four kilos of beef a day, you don't need to supplement with creatine. Anybody else take creatine. That's, that's the rule. That's easy. You're going to say well, something? Yeah, I was going to say, because I just looked on my protein. And if you just get, if you get creatine monohydrate, a kilo of the stuff is uh, just over 31 quid. And but bearing, doesn't it, it has to be Crea Pure? Well, it? yeah, Crea Pure. It should be Crea Pure from my Crea. protein. Crea Pure, well, there's two. That's the kind of standard creatine monohydrate, but the Crea yeah. Pure creatine monohydrate is 37 pounds. So it's not much more. But bearing in yeah. mind, you know, like the, the daily kind of like maintenance dose is about five grand, grams. Yeah, so that'll last you 200 days. Exactly. So yeah. I always buy a kilo at a time and it just, yeah. obviously it just lasts forever. Get the um, Crea, do get the, like anybody who's listening, get the Crea Pure one because it's yeah. it, like all the, like all the creatine monohydrate in the world is either manufactured in Germany and it's Crea Pure or it's manufactured in China and it's not get the first one yeah. because uh, it's just, it's like, so every supplement company that sells creatine monohydrate, all the good ones use Crea Pure and they just white label this stuff that's bought, you know, by the ton from Germany. So use Crea Pure. And would you say even in populations who are pretty sedentary, there's going to be some benefit to using yeah. it? Be it for the, be it for the brain or okay. whatever else. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Try and get my, and get my gran on it. I'm going to sneak, scoop it, day. sneak it into a tea or something. Keeps the gains in play. Just also going back to muscle nutrients, what's your thoughts on, on kind of calcium and magnesium? Because one question I've always got with calcium <clears> is when you look at daily requirements of calcium, they're quite high. Now, if you're using your muscles a lot, so think about you guys doing your CrossFit strongman training. And then I look at the calcium content in food. It never seems, I don't even know how we get enough. And so I always think, obviously we've got a bone bank and you might be pulling on those stores, but it's about 800 milligrams, isn't it? At the moment is a daily recommended amount for, I think that's men and adult, men and women here. And then I've seen, if you're pretty athletic and training hard, it could be a thousand and a tin of sardines gives you like 250. And think how many, I, I, if you're not having dairy, sorry, dairy is about 200, 250 as well. I always think, I, I'd struggle to see how everyone's getting enough from, for if they're doing a lot with their muscles and same for magnesium, I tend to recommend supplementation now, but calcium, I'm a bit wary because there's concern over whether it would end up calcifying tissues or soft tissue. Yeah. I mean, I'm not too, <clears throat> so unless somebody is completely dairy free and also doesn't eat, you know, sardines with the bones and that kind of stuff, you know, I think people get enough calcium from different sources. Like, you know, there's some in leafy greens. How bioavailable is it? Not entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, but if you're completely dairy-free and you don't have any other sources, then I would consider taking some calcium. Oh. But magnesium, but if you, you know, milk in your tea, cheese, mm. yogurt, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> thing is, um, over here, though, that the, the, common, the more common scenario now is no one's having dairy and no one's having sardines with bones in. Because they're like, oh, you yeah. know, that's the more common scenario that I come yeah. across. So that's when I'm like, well, how... Well, then I'd, I would consider I would consider supplementation. If, if, if you think, like, somebody's getting under, like, two or 300 milligrams a day, yeah, um, probably worth it. Uh, magnesium is another thing that, you know, it's very... It seems like, based on best estimates, it's difficult to, to to actually determine magnesium status. But most people probably don't get enough. So again, dirt cheap magnesium citrate or glycinate. Take it before I like. I take it before. I, I take three or four hundred milligrams before bed every night. It's Does just that like make you groggy the next day. Absolutely not. No. Really. We tried doing that, didn't we? Like loading it in at the end of the day. And it, like, <laughs> useless, wasn't it, the next morning? But then... I remember. Do you remember? I said so, to it, you so it does have... Right, so... I mean, I can't imagine that much of it is getting into the brain to having, having an effect, but it does dampen down uh, glutamate signaling. So it's sort of like anti-excitotoxic, if that yeah. makes sense. So it, so, it, so it decreases some of that excitatory, like, nervous activity. But... I think in a, in a good way, I don't think in a, in a way that would ever or should ever make you drowsy or affect, my guess is that it would be something else rather than the magnesium. To be fair, um, I probably stacked it with ashwagandha, melatonin and several Yeah, things. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that stuff. Oh, me. Well, the ashwagandha, the ashwagandha, again, I don't think would, would make you drowsy, but melatonin, melatonin so you, you take yeah. like five milligrams of melatonin, that could knock you out for, for 12 hours, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would never do that. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had stopped doing the melatonin for that reason, didn't yeah, I? I was matter. like, I had a great night's sleep, just can't actually bloody function for the first three hours of the, the, the following day. day. Yeah, yeah. So I guarantee, I guarantee you're taking too much. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You've always said microdose. Like 300 to 500 micrograms, whereas an average, an oh, average pill <laughs> is like three to three to 10 milligrams. You're taking okay. at least 10 times too much. Wow. That was a joke, by the way, about the mill. Oh, imagine. Wow. Just neck in a bottle. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we covered a good good yeah, chunk there. Yeah, we got there. a lot there. 
So to summarize, people need to strength train. Just the last thing, actually, what type of, you've mentioned a few exercises, but is there anything specific? I know you've mentioned before, there's a lot of research on being able to squat properly, isn't there? In your, um, in your dying days, being able to squat and do six pull-ups, run 5K. Do you have standards? So there's, there's this nice uh, test, I think they developed somewhere in Australia, which is basically... And, and they it sort of it predicts mortality risk, which I, I think kind of just like tells you about what you should be able to do, which is that if you sit cross-legged on the floor, can you get like can you get up oh, yeah. without putting your hand on the floor or on your legs or putting an elbow down or anything like that? So like with with your hands up, essentially, can you with a cross legs on the floor stand up? And each time you need a touch, a hand to the floor, a hand to your legs, anything like that. 10 years off your life. 10 years <laughs> off your life. No, I, I don't know how many, but it is something like that. Like the more touches you need, the, the sort of the, the worse your projected longevity. And I think it's so you need to be able to sort of stand up under your own steam. And this is kind of like the, the physiologic headroom, which is kind of like, what are you capable of doing versus what do you need to be able to do on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, so yeah. if, you can do one bodyweight squat. That's like your max. That means that getting off the toilet requires you to do a max effort squat, which oh, wow. is basically mean you've run out of physiologic headroom, right? You have no headroom. Like what your maximum is, is what you need to be able to do from day to day life. So basically you want to create as much of a buffer as you can. So what are the things that you need to be able to do? You need to be able to carry stuff. You need to be able to squat at least a little bit, right? To get up and down stairs, um, you know, so like deadlifts carries some presses, like some pulls. So just like if you're falling, you want to be able to grab onto something and you need to do work that gets you close enough to like this quote unquote mm. failure, because you want to develop and maintain these fast twitch muscle fibers, which is what are, because that's the, the sudden movement, the sudden stumble, that's the, that's the muscle fiber type that's going to stop you from falling or allow you to grab onto something if, 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 if like you're slipping and grab the handrail or something. So that's why the stimulus needs to be hard enough. But what's hard, you know, for you is hard enough, right? It doesn't have to be what's hard for somebody else. And then as you get better, as you get stronger, then something else becomes, a, you know, becomes hard enough. So, so, you know, any, any and all of those things, you know, squat, you know, you, you could kind of go back to like Dan John's big five, right? Squat, hinge, hinge. press, pull, and carry. Those are like the five things. And if you can do those five things, you know, in some way, once a week, right? I think you're in pretty good shape. Do you know, I love uh, like a goblet squat as like a... You an all-rounder. Oh, an all, an you've all, got grip strength in there if you're holding But that's yeah. the thing, kettlebell. yeah. So if you're holding a kettlebell, you know, it's like <laughs> you're, you're yeah. gripping your shoulders, your upper back, your core. It gets around any potential like mobility issues that, you know, are a little bit more present in like a back squat. Um, and of course, it's just a little bit more convenient to store a kettlebell than it is a barbell. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I love it for that reason. And, and um, Well, some know, people do like grease in the groove, don't <clears> they, where they literally just perform the movement once or twice across the day. I keep, I've, I'll say I'll do it with pull-ups and I just don't. Like, every time I walk under the kitchen door, I just do a pull-up and then I get bored after about a week of doing it and then stop. But when you do do it, it is, it does become so much easier, doesn't it? Speaking of pull-ups, we got a house view in this Saturday. Are we leaving the pull-up bar there or are we going to take it down? No, we should leave it, leave it up as an inspiration. Inspire them. Yeah. So this is a fit household. Yeah. 
actually, quite are you not just going to be there doing pull-ups, Matt, while they come around? It should not be like ninety-nine. Yeah, actually, let's pass my charger. It's going to go. This is a good story. Every yeah, in the back. Every time we've had, do you remember over lockdown? How many? We had a plumber in. We had an electrician come in. And nearly all of them trained. And as soon as they saw the pull-up bar and the kettlebells, honest to God, they were here for about an hour chatting with Matt. Next thing you know, they're all in the loft because we've got like medicine balls up there. No, slam balls. Slam balls. One of them wanted. And then another one wanted something else. I I started paying them in like part cash, part (laughs) uh, leftover fitness equipment. It it was really nice hearing someone with a physical job still, many of them still trained, didn't they? And they looked like pretty fit. Because I always think if I had a physical job, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't go to the gym. Well, the guy that came to get the shower, my God, he was an absolute tank i was like mate i don't even think you're gonna fit through the blinking <laughs> the 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 hole to get into the loft yeah do you know what i mean he's the one that took the medicine the sample, no no he? it wasn't him no oh, no it was one. the other guy the uh that was the uh the, when we had that plumbing issue and he was he was beginning to tie boxing yeah and he yeah. saw them up there he was like oh you got a 15 kilo slambo up there i was like oh, yeah. <laughs> gonna buy it 40 quid off the bill and it's yours <laughs> 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 and he did <laughs> It's like fair play, fair play. See, fitness just bringing people together and yeah. saving us money. And to be fair, though, having the visual cue is good. It is good, I think, having the equipment around the house and like every now and then, I still do my little pull-ups and stuff, mm. don't I? You so, do, you do, yeah. and it makes a massive difference. I have to say, like to my posture mainly. That's one of the reasons I do it. You should have one, Tommy, and you wouldn't have to stand so much. Yeah. If you did your shoulder yeah. retractions and your hanging. He's like, yeah. see that? It's like, yeah. I've heard him say before, you won't do pull-ups because you can't be bothered to do the all the ancillary work to be able to do pull-ups. Is that true? Uh, no, that's that's not true. I do. I, <laughs> I, have, I have pull-ups in my program like two or three, at any given time, they're like two or three times a week I'm doing pull-ups uh, in the gym. Mainly because like for strongman, like your upper back and yeah. uh, your bicep tendon are so, are so like critical. And like my upper back is something that I haven't worked a lot in my life so i'm being punished for that now gotta say though like i love the feeling in my upper back after like a solid deadlift session like you do deadlifts properly and i'm like my upper back, i'm just i actually feel like for two days afterwards my posture is improved because yeah, you have yeah. that awareness of like your upper back and i thought like i'm just like i say the same about around. pull up negatives when i do those and then i can't put like my coat on for about two days i'm like that feels good that feels like i did yeah, something yeah, productive yeah, <laughs> but yeah. very little reps as well about yeah, five yeah. reps and i can't move yeah baby i just got one final question then we go tommy what we you've done like iron man more than ridiculous than iron man now you're doing strongman how are you gonna train into old age do you reckon how will you change 40s 50s 60s probably stop entering competitions maybe or so so i think what i'm doing now is probably something that i could sustain long term so i do an aerobic session twice a week and it's usually just like sat on the bike for half an hour or something like super low you know heart rate 120 130 something like that like like just like get moving um and then when i'm preparing for a competition one of those will get swapped out for a, a sprint session on the on the rowing machine which is just awful but really good for you um and then i'll lift three or four three or four t- times a week and so I think like this feels very sustainable to me, like maybe not the length of the sessions, right? You know, sometimes I'm like training two hours a day, like four or five times a week. And that does get to be a lot sometimes. Um, but I think the type of training is, is definitely what I'll continue. So it's like a, you know, mix of strength and more bodybuilding style 
sets of things. And I'd like to continue competing in strongman for, you know, the, the foreseeable future. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not going to win anything. Like that's, that's not why I do it, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, there's always new skills and new implements to try and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I, I, I would just get super bored powerlifting to be honest whereas like strongman is a load of fun you move stuff around uh, there's always like an odd implement or something new my goal so i currently compete in the novice category if you ever win the novice category you have to compete in open but i don't want to do that because i'm not strong enough to compete as an open middleweight which is what i would be uh, like i watch the open middleweights in the competitions i go to i'm like i'm not sure i can ever i'll ever be able to do what they're doing however when I hit 40, I can compete as a master. Um, and so what you have to do as a master is a little is harder than what you have to do as a novice, but it's not as hard as what you have to do in open. So I'm basically hoping that I can remain a novice for three years and then I can become a master and I never have to compete in open because it would like you just I just like stand there under the yoke, not be able to lift it up for 60 <laughs> seconds and then go and sit down. And that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> what about where's the yoga and the qigong and the mobility? Any of that going on? Qigong's Qigong. It's Qigong, mate. It's Qigong. So I do, so I do some, I, I've tried to, the, there's some really nice data on cognitive function and uh, exercises that challenge your balance. So those seem to be particularly good for cognitive function and like plasticity. So I try and do some balance work. Like I have a, I have a slack block. Um, I could probably slack line. So, so like other things, I might do as I'm like warming up that are more like challenging of balance. So I do have that, you know, a few of those things I do sometimes during the week. That's probably, I think I will get the benefit that I need from doing stuff like that. Again, I think the patterns and the challenge that you put on your body is what matters, not the exact thing. So I, I think I'll get many of the benefits of yoga by doing various movements that challenge my balance and coordination without having to do yoga, but it fits into my other, my other pattern. So I think it's, it's important for people to realize that it doesn't matter what you do. It's just the kind of stimulus that, that you're getting that, that, that gives you the benefit. Yeah. That's my justification for not doing yoga. <laughs> well, I always said to you, didn't I? I wondered if, if I quite like doing like cleaning as in like proper getting down, squatting down, cleaning the floor, cleaning covers. And I said to you, I'm not sure I need to do mobility once I've been cleaning. No. Yeah. It's pretty mobile work to do yeah, yeah. from gardening and stuff like that. And so I don't know. I'll do, I don't, I'm not as keen on doing it as a structured session. I'll do it at the end of a workout, beginning of a workout, but. Yeah. Have you, have you, so there's this brilliant study that, uh, have you heard of Ellen Langer? She's a psychologist at, at Harvard and she's done these amazing studies on how your expectation affects your health. So, so there's one recent study where this is, this is one of the reasons why I have issues with people who do a lot of continuous glucose monitoring potentially is she, she took, diabetics and she gave them a milkshake or two milkshakes two different times like randomized the order one time it was a low carb milkshake you know here's the label look at how many carbs are in this milkshake and then the next time it was a high carb milkshake you know here's the label look at how many carbs are in this milkshake and then after the high carb milkshake obviously they had a bigger spike in their blood sugar but it was the same milkshake so oh, wow. the carb right so if you're expecting this big carb hit you get a bigger increase in your blood sugar even though it was the same milkshake wow. just brilliant but so like 20 years ago also she did this and they're redoing it now she did this study the counterclockwise study where they took i think it was i think it was old men like in their 70s and they put them in an environment that was like the 70s right so that, you know 30 years ago or something and they said 
we want you to spend the day talking like you are back in the 70s, like how you were then, like the present day, right? You've gone back in time. Who you were back then pretends like you're back there. Blood sugar improves, grip strength improves, okay. like all these things Im improve just by imagining that they were younger. Like all these like physiological parameters, like these hard quantifiable parameters improves. All right. Now we get to the, the point that I was making. This is another study that she did is the, the study of uh, cleaners in hotels, which is why it's relevant to your comment. Um, and they randomized them into two groups. And they, you know, one group was just like the control group and they just, they just looked at them before and after the other group. Um, they, and I think on average, uh, you know, they were sort of overweight and not particularly active outside of their jobs. But they said to, to, to the second group, did you know that your job is a lot of exercise, right? You're up and down stairs, you're pushing the hoover, you're changing beds, you're getting down and squatting and cleaning all this kind of stuff. That's a lot of exercise. You're actually doing a lot more exercise than you think you're doing. That group lost weight, improved their blood pressure, improved their blood sugar, just by appreciating the fact that they're actually doing a lot of exercise. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe there were other things that happened in the meantime, like they were like, oh, you know, I do do a lot of exercise. So, you know, maybe they improve their diet and all that kind of stuff. But which is, which is vigorously. They were like, if I yeah. up it a gear. Yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. So, but, but just by appreciating yeah. that the movement that they were doing was beneficial to their mm. health, they started to see health benefits, even if it meant that they changed other things at the same time, which they didn't control for in the study, there's still this beneficial effect of thinking, oh yeah, I do actually do more than I think I do. And there's another study that goes wow. along with this. This is from the Ed Haynes. <laughs> so, sorry, you've got me started now. Uh, Matt was desperate to wrap up. So now I'm paying you back for this last time. <laughs> And so, so this is uh, data from NHANES, which is this big population data set in, in the US. And they had this subgroup of people, they wore uh, pedometers. So they, you know, figured out how much activity that they're doing. And they looked at their health and, you know, their, you know, long-term health, disease risk, mortality, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then they also asked them, compared to your peers, compared to people like you, how much exercise do you think you do? And so there were people who were like, I don't do as much exercise or I do about the same or I do more exercises. I think I'm more active than other people like me. Then after adjusting for, you know, obviously sex and, um, you know, I think some, some uh, blood test parameters, high blood pressure, uh, BMI, um, various uh, disease factors, as well as how much exercise they actually do, those who thought they did a lot of exercise lived longer. So after adjusting for how much exercise you do, there's this beneficial effect on your physiology of thinking, oh yeah, I'm an active person. I do a lot of stuff and that's good for my health. And like they adjusted for literally everything, like 15 different things that could have been confounders in this analysis. And those people who thought, and, those, and then the, those people who thought they didn't do very much exercise, they've you know, had, had, had worse health outcomes. And this is important when we go back to people thinking like, oh, I need to run marathons to be healthy. Right. You're always thinking, yeah. oh, I don't do enough. I don't do enough. I don't do enough. That has a negative effect on your physiology. It actively affects your health, which is why I think you should be like, great. You get up and you go and do a 20 minute walk. That's fabulous. That's great for your health. You know, celebrate these small wins, these small bits of movement because they're really good for you and you should appreciate that. Joe, it's so interesting you say that because whenever I have to do a questionnaire on physical activity, mm. I always put that I'm sedentary because my job is sedentary. But actually, when I think about the fact that how much I walk the dog and train, yeah, you know, I'm always being like, I'm like, oh, I, hell no. because I'm you're like comparing to, yourself to people who are yeah, literally yeah, yeah. right, right, yeah. and so and that's the that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. 
I need to think more positively about that. And then you need to, when you buy peanut M&Ms, scribble the words low carb on them. I don't buy them. <laughs> you buy them. Okay. Do you know I'm what? Not, there there are all your biscuits boxes. <laughs> there are studies that suggest you get the placebo effect, even if you know it's a placebo. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Still write low yeah. carb on all of our sweeties. Yeah. <laughs> I like That's it. That's awesome. Would you remember one year I wrote paleo on a Marks and Spencer's Yule log at Christmas? <laughs> and I was like, um, I put it on social media. I was like, Marks and Spencer's proper up in their game. And the amount of people that were like, oh my God. Where? How, how, how have I not seen this? And I was like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but they Amazing. wanted to believe it. They wanted to believe it. Oh, and that's cool. That is cool. But you know, like one one last thing. <laughs> um, you know, we you know we've we've spoken about you know like aging and you know um, training in old age, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And like lo- we often push like longevity, don't we? We're always a bit like you know, it's not just about now; it's about in 20, 30, 40 years time. And I think like you know, th- there is this you know when you when you think of CrossFit, for example, and you know, many other forms of training, like there is a very fine line between training and it having a really positive effect on you and training and it potentially having a negative effect on you. Maybe not right now, but in the future. And like, I've always kind of said, like like CrossFit hasn't really been around long enough to kind of see what longevity in the sport truly is like. And, And I think it's getting better, but, um, Nick, Tamalino, I always think I pronounced his surname wrong. He he did a post about it this week and was saying how like a lot of things that were intended to be something that improved your health, i.e. exercise and whatnot, are actually taking people the other way. And I think it ties in with what Tommy was saying about like this expectation of what is required of you to, to get better, to look a certain way. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm not saying you're not getting any benefit, but you could argue that you're maybe not quite as healthy as you could be well, yeah, if you like, d- like dialed things in a little bit. I would also you know question I mean? the goal of, of longevity a little bit in that I'm following somebody who's um, suffering from a terminal cancer. We know him through like paleo. We must have met him somewhere and he writes amazing blogs and he always says for him now, longevity is not the goal. Quality of life is the goal. And I oh, think yeah. at some point he's going to write about like choices he makes around that. Oh, but for sure. it's been really interesting to read because you think actually he's right in that some of the things we're doing now, it's not just about that. It's going to affect the quality of life. Yeah, like yeah. you, My worry for you is not just that you, you know, I, that you will not be able to do some form of exercise really like, if you carry on. Be a decrepit old man. Yeah, basically. I'm just w- wiping my bottom. <laughs> I've finished, Kerish. I've finished. I haven't gone that far. I'll be out the door, don't you worry. Charming. With my low carb peanut M&M's. <laughs> You're on your own, mate. Yeah. I told you so. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is something. And everyone has to have a word with themselves about that because it's great now. Uh, but you know ultimately in the future for me though when i say longevity like longevity and quality of living like go hand in hand, hand, in hand yeah, like, yeah i don't just mean like just to simply be here <laughs> you know what i mean but um but yeah i'm, I'm done i'm gonna yeah we're good yeah sure boom yeah, i don't think i've got any more studies so. If, you, if you think of any, let us know. Yeah. We'll, we'll get you on again. Awesome. I love things that I love yeah. stuff like that because it just 
you know, reinforces like just how powerful the mind is. Yeah, I think that you know a I mean? really interesting study something that you cite as well. It's good. It is really good, I think. I mean, I, I think it's it's mad that we do a lot of studies on things that we already know, but I think it's also really helpful because we just don't believe half the mm. stuff that we should believe. So, yeah, thank you. Boom. Well, another great episode in the bag. Thank you very much, Tommy, mate. Your time is always greatly appreciated. So, yeah, yeah thank, you. thank you very much. Um, and hopefully we'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, no, it's always a huge pleasure. I, I love it. Glad no, to be honestly, back. It does mean a hell of a lot, mate, because we know you're a busy guy. So, yeah. Gracias. Thank you. So that's a wrap, peeps. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Big, big love. Any questions, as always, you know where we are. Um, hit us up, info at fitterfood.com or get us on social media, fitterfood. And uh, if you haven't already done so, please leave a review, subscribe and all that because it goes a long way. Or if you've got any other feedback and you want to get it back to us, because like we said last week or whatever, it's... Um, it, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Like just a little email or little social media post letting us know that you enjoyed it. <laughs> please, like, yes. please. <laughs> People are listening. People are listening. No, but I must admit, like since doing stuff like this, I'm, I now like feedback to people because I'm like I know what difference it makes like if I like send someone a little private message just say like I really enjoyed this podcast yeah, or yeah, that no, post exactly. you did the other day like a little goes a long way so that's a wrap peeps big love and we'll see you next time bye bye laters bye